we're continuing our study on Ephesians called The Riches of Grace. And the reason we've entitled our study The Riches of Grace is because Paul uses that word riches uh, so often in Ephesians describing grace. And, and the riches of grace is everything God has done for us in Christ and the blessings that he's poured upon us and lavished upon us in Christ. And so that's why I want to name our study on Ephesians, the riches of grace. And we're on teaching number 28, which is the shield of faith. And this is part one of the shield of faith. Next week, we'll do part two of the shield of faith. But we'll read in Ephesians chapter six, starting with verse 10. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand, stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then in verse 14, 15, and 16, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So that's what we're going to begin looking at tonight is the shield of faith. And we've talked about in our study that Satan is against us. Satan is the, Satan is against the gospel of grace. Satan is against us understanding the gospel of grace. And if we don't understand the gospel of grace, then we can't take our stand against Satan. Because the armor of God really is the armor of grace. It's the armor of the gospel. We're, we're defending ourselves against Satan by standing in grace. It's the gospel of grace that defeated Satan. And if it's the gospel of grace that defeated Satan, then it's the gospel of grace that we're going to use to defend ourselves against Satan's flaming arrows or his lies. That's what his flaming arrows are, his lies. Now, let's look into Hebrews about how the grace of Jesus, how this gospel of grace, how this good news of grace, the grace of Jesus defeated Satan and broke the power of Satan in our lives. And this comes out of Hebrews Chapter 2, verse 9. And Paul writes, But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. By that he means he was completely human. In Hebrews chapter 1, we see that Jesus is greater than the angels, which means he's God. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince the people that Jesus is completely God. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews is seeking to convince the people that Jesus is completely human. And why is that necessary? Because Jesus is ushering in a new covenant, that Jesus is going to go to the cross and bring a new covenant together. And the Bible says Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Well, what we know about a mediator is a mediator fully represents two different sides. And so as the mediator, so as the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus fully represented God as God, and he fully represented humanity as a human. 
And then he ushered in this new covenant or this new testament, this new way of relating to God that had nothing to do with the law of Moses, but had everything to do with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see in Hebrews 2.9, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels, completely human, for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. He's, he's resurrected. He's ascended. He's now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He defeated death. He rose from the grave so that by the grace of God, Jesus might taste death for everyone. So Jesus died for everybody because everybody sinned. And the penalty for everybody is death. So Jesus paid our sin debt in full. He died our death in full. And in doing so, the word for that is grace. Grace is Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. He, he died my death. He paid my sin penalty when he went to the cross. Now let's pick up in Hebrews two fourteen and 15. It says this, since the children have flesh and blood, that means humanity, since humanity has flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also shared in their humanity. So Jesus was fully human and fully God, because he can't pay the sin penalty for humanity if he's not a human. So God became human to die for the sins of humanity and ultimately to bring life to us, to give us life. Since the children are since humanity has flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, by the death of Jesus, Jesus might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the gospel of grace. Jesus going to the cross, paying the sin debt for all of us in his death. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he defeated Satan. He defeated the power of Satan. The power of Satan is death. Remember, this is going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's going all the way back when Adam ate of the tree and God lovingly warned Adam, if you eat of the tree, you will die. And then Satan comes and says, oh, you can't trust God. He's not loving. He's not kind. He's not good. If you eat of the tree, you won't die. Well, when, when Adam ate of the tree, after Eve was deceived, Adam ate of the tree, he died. And Satan gained power over people's lives because people die. Jesus came to undo what Satan did. And the power of the cross is when he died the death penalty for all of our sins because sin results in death. And he rose from the dead. He defeated death. And we're going to look at that more momentarily. But here's what I want us to see is that this gospel of grace is how Satan was defeated and how the power of Satan has been broken in our lives through the gospel of grace, through what God has done for us in Christ and we've been freed from living in fear of dying because in Christ and through faith in Christ, we have eternal life. So believing the truths about the gospel of grace is how we take up our stand. It's how we take our, our stand against Satan. It's how we take up our shield against Satan when we believe the truths of the gospel of grace. 
So believing the truth of the gospel of grace is how we break the power of Satan in our lives, and it's how we take up our shield against satanic lies when we believe the gospel of grace. Satan is beaten by believing. How do we defend ourselves against satanic lies? By belief. So Satan is beaten by believing. So if believing the truth of grace is how we take up our shield against Satan, against his lies, and if believing the truth of grace is how we break the power of Satan in our lives, then that leads us to a bigger question. What is the gospel of grace? Yes, we know it's, it's Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That's a big thing to know. But let's explore the gospel of grace a little bit more fully and a little deeper. So the question is this, what are the truths of grace? Because it's by knowing the truths of grace that we can take up our shield to defend ourselves against satanic lies. So if I don't know the truths of grace, then I can't take up my shield to defend myself against satanic lies. What are Satan's flaming arrows that the shield of faith enables us to extinguish? All right, so faith is believing the truths about grace, the shield of faith. So when the satanic lies come at us, the way we defend ourselves against these satanic lies is by placing our faith in the truths of the gospel of grace, believing these to be true when he comes at us with his lies. So when we believe the truths about the gospel of grace, then Satan's power is broken in our lives. He can't stand up against the gospel of grace. He can't defeat the gospel of grace because it's the gospel of grace that defeated him and broke the power that he had in our lives. So with faith, believing the gospel of grace, then we can be free of the, of the satanic lies and the power he's trying to control our lives with. All right, so what are these flaming arrows that Satan will launch at us? We're going to look at one major one tonight. The first flaming arrow we're going to look at in our study on the shield of faith is flaming arrow number one, which is this, you are not forgiven. That's a satanic lie. And so how do we defend ourselves against that satanic lie? Well, the shield of faith would be this, the flaming arrow, you're not forgiven. The shield of faith is, through faith in Jesus, I am forgiven. So he'll lie and say, hey, you're not forgiven. Some of the sins that you've committed, things that you've done, places that you've been, words that you've spoken, ways that you've acted. Satan will want us living in guilt and living in shame for the sin in our lives. When we're living in guilt and shame for the sin in our lives, then he has a grip on us. He has power over us through guilt and power over us through shame. But if we put up the shield of faith that says, you know what? I am forgiven because of the blood of Christ. I am forgiven because of the cross of Christ. Then he has no power over us anymore because we're not believing his lie that says you're not forgiven because we're responding in, in faith and in truth. You know what? I am forgiven. Let's look at the biblical truth, the gospel of grace as it relates to forgiveness. 
This is after Jesus ascended into heaven, and we're looking at placing our faith in Jesus and receiving forgiveness here. Acts 26, 15 through 18, Jesus has ascended. He's, he's appeared to Paul. Paul's on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says to Paul, starting in verse 15 of Acts 26, Paul asks, who are you? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied. He says to Paul in verse 16, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people, that's the Jewish people, and from the Gentiles, and I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And here's what I want us to see here. And to turn them, when their eyes are open, to some specific truth, that to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So Satan has a grip on the lives of people that when they turn from darkness to light, and we're going to see what that is, then they're going to be released from the power of Satan. So Jesus says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what do we notice about forgiveness in this verse? If the satanic lie, if the flaming arrow is your sins are not forgiven, you're guilty for what you've done, you're going to have to pay for what you've done. I mean, there are people, you guys, who have, who have sins in their lives from back when they were in high school, college, previous relationships, previous marriages, just things that we've done in our lives that still has a grip in the minds of people, in the hearts of people, and they're gripped by guilt. They're still living in the guilt of what they've done. And they beg God to forgive them. They plead with God to forgive them. Every night before they go to bed, it's on their mind, God, please forgive me for what I did years ago. And they believe somehow in their minds and in their thoughts that God hasn't forgiven them. And they can't move forward in their lives because they're stuck in a sin of the past. And because they're stuck in a sin of the past, then they can't move forward in their lives because this flaming arrow of Satan has penetrated their mind, has penetrated their heart. And they're believing his lie that what I've done is so bad. The action that I took, the decision that I made, the place that I went was so bad that I know God can't forgive me for that. And that's a satanic lie. Because we see here that forgiveness is something we don't have to ask God for. Forgiveness is something we don't have to beg God for. Forgiveness is something we don't have to plead with God to give us. What we see in this verse, and remember, Jesus is sending Paul out. What we see here is forgiveness is free. 
And we're not the ones who are doing the asking. God is asking us, the human race, to receive forgiveness. You see it in that verse in verse 18? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins. All right, so he's the one asking us to receive forgiveness, which means we don't ask him for forgiveness, which means we don't have to beg for forgiveness or plead for forgiveness as if somehow God is withholding forgiveness from us. Actually, God is holding forgiveness out to us in the person of Christ. And how is the forgiveness of God received? By faith in me. So the shield of faith is believing the truth that you and I have received forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Because remember we read in Hebrews 2, verse 9, that Jesus died for all of our sins for the entire human race. And now God is holding out his forgiveness to the entire human race and saying to each of us individually, receive my forgiveness through faith in Christ. So God's not angry with us. God's not harboring resentment to us. God's not pointing his finger at us in accusation saying, look what you did way back when. How could you do that? Christ went to the cross and he died for all of our sins. So the sins of the past that I can't forgive myself for, or I don't think God's forgiven me for, have really already been forgiven. And through faith in Christ, we receive that forgiveness. You know, I was talking to a young lady one time, and she said, Brad, I have no problem at all believing that God has forgiven me. I believe that with all my heart. I I know God's not angry with me. I know he's not mad at me. I know he's not frustrated with me. I know he's not condemning of me. But here's what she told me. But I just can't forgive myself. Another person, when I was speaking on this at a church years ago, he came up to me after church. He said, Brad, I get it. God has completely forgiven me of all sins. It's a gift of his grace. I've received that, but I just can't forgive myself. Both of these people had something in their past that was so difficult for them, that was so hard for them, that weighed them down so much that they lived in the regret of that they literally couldn't move forward in their lives because they were stuck in the sins of their past, completely knowing God had forgiven them, but they just couldn't forgive themselves. I remember a man in his 70s or probably close to 80, and he was in a counseling office with me, and same thing. He said, Brad, I get it. I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. And what I told all three of these people was that forgiving yourself is the same way you you receive God's forgiveness. We receive God's forgiveness by faith. And that's how we forgive ourselves. We don't wait until we feel like forgiving ourselves. We forgive ourselves by faith. What does that mean? What that means is today, let's say today is February the 4th where I am, is I'm making a choice today to give myself the forgiveness that God has already given me. So by faith, I'm forgiving myself for what I did. 
that what I couldn't forgive myself for for so long, today, February 4th, 2021, I'm making a decision based upon the cross of Jesus Christ, based upon the blood of Jesus Christ, to forgive myself for what I've done. When we do that, we won't feel forgiven. We will still feel angry toward ourselves. We may still feel frustrated to ourselves. And when that regret comes back, we say, you know what? On February the 4th, 2021, at 7, 11 p.m., I made a decision to forgive myself. And then when those feelings come back, I say, you know what? On February the 4th, 2021, at 7, 11, I made a decision to forgive myself. Not only has God forgiven me, but I have forgiven myself. And let's say a whole year goes by, a year and a couple months. And let's say it's, it's April of 2022, April the 3rd, 2022. And these feelings of anger toward ourselves for something we've done in the past begin to surface in our minds. We put up the shield of faith and we say, you know what? I forgave myself on February the 4th, 2021 at 7:11 p.m. I've received God's forgiveness for myself, but on that date I forgave myself. And you keep telling yourself over and over and over again, I have forgiven myself for what I've done because what I done what I did was nailed to the cross. God's forgiven me and I I've forgiven myself. So you begin speaking words of faith Rather than speaking, I just can't forgive myself and carrying that into the next 20 years of our lives, we speak words like this, I have forgiven myself. I've chosen to forgive myself for what I've done. I'm not going to harbor that against myself anymore. I'm not going to carry that against myself anymore. I'm not going to punish myself for what I've done. And we just start speaking the truth. God has forgiven me and I've forgiven myself. And that's how we hold up the shield of faith when these satanic lies come against us. And here's another lie that'll come. You don't deserve to forgive yourself. You don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be free from what you've done. What you deserve is to pay for what you've done. That's a satanic lie. And here's the shield of faith. Here's how we answer that lie of Satan. Satan, you're right. I don't deserve to forgive myself. You're right. I don't deserve to experience happiness and joy. But that's what grace is all about. Remember, Satan hates grace. And the last thing he wants is for a believer to extend grace to themselves. He doesn't want a believer to experience the grace of God for themselves, nor does he want a believer extending grace to themselves individually. Because when we begin to extend grace to ourselves individually, then he begins losing his power in our lives. And so, hey, you're right. I I don't deserve to forgive myself, but that's what grace is all about. It's giving to another person what they don't deserve. It's receiving from God what I don't deserve. It's giving to myself what I don't deserve. And and it's like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm the perfect candidate for grace. I'm the perfect candidate. I need grace, and I'm going to extend grace to myself. So Jesus sent Paul to go into these Gentile cities 
to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and that people would receive forgiveness by faith. And then those who are sanctified are made holy and clean before God by faith. Well, Satan will say, you're dirty. You're not clean. We'll look at this next week. And we say, no, 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 I'm clean. I am clean in the, in the sight of God. I've been cleansed from all sins. All right, let's continue to look at the fact that you and I are fully forgiven of all of our sins. That's the shield of faith that we want to hold up. When the flaming arrow of Satan comes that says, you're not forgiven, we're going to hold up the shield of faith that says, yes, I am forgiven. And we're going to hold up Ephesians chapter 1, 6 through 8, which says this, to the praise of God's glorious grace, which God has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption. Redemption is the full payment for our sins. And redemption is something that we have. It's not something we ask for. It's something that we have. We possess redemption. So redemption is the full payment of all of our sins by Jesus at the cross through his blood. There's no sin that you and I have committed or will commit that the redemption payment has not already been paid for in full. You and I, have our sins have been fully paid for by Jesus. That's what redemption is. We've been set free from the penalty of sin Because Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus took our sins upon himself. So in Jesus, we possess redemption, the full payment for our sins. And he describes redemption more fully here. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. So we have in this verse, verse 7 of Ephesians, it's all by grace. This is the gospel of grace that defeated Satan, that rendered Satan powerless, that when we walk by faith in the gospel of grace, we render Satan powerless in our lives. All right, so you have come to faith in Christ. You're in Christ. You have redemption, the through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness is not something we request from God. It's something we possess from God. We possess forgiveness. We don't request forgiveness. You guys know, and I know you do, probably 99.9% of believers all around the world are requesting God's forgiveness most every day of their lives or weekly or monthly. They're not living in the truth that they possess forgiveness. They're requesting forgiveness. And they've missed the gospel of grace. That was me for years until about 1990, when I began to see what I'm sharing with you guys now. That forgiveness is not something that I ask for from God. It's something that I accept from God through faith in Jesus. And when that light bulb of grace began to light up my heart, I was able to be taken away from the darkness of sin into the light of grace, the darkness of guilt into the light of grace. 
where I knew that I was forgiven. And I said to God, God, I'll never, ever ask you to forgive me of another sin. But I will spend the rest of my life in appreciation for what Jesus did for me on the cross and knowing that all of my sins are completely forgiven forever. And God, I will never request of you to forgive any more of my sins, but I will believe by faith that I now possess the forgiveness that Jesus went to the cross to pay for. Jesus paid for our forgiveness at the cross. He holds that forgiveness out to us and says, if you'll place your faith in me, then you'll receive this forgiveness and it's eternally yours. We live in forgiveness. It's ours. We possess it. So when Satan comes and says, you're not forgiven, say, you know what? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 through 8 says, in him, I'm in Christ. All my sins have been paid for through his blood that I have the forgiveness of sins. That's how we put up the shield of faith. When Satan says, you're not forgiven, we say, yes, I am forgiven. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, as we look at forgiveness. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, this is really interesting, you guys. The word dominion there, if you'll look back up in Acts 26, 15 through 18, when Jesus is sending Paul out as an ambassador of this message of forgiveness. He's speaking on behalf of Jesus, right? That's what Paul's doing. He's, Jesus was in heaven. The Spirit of Christ came to live in Paul. And Paul has become an ambassador of Jesus by communicating this message on earth. And part of this message was receiving forgiveness. Now, in verse 18 of Acts 26, 15 through 18, Jesus said to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes to what? To, to what I did for them at the cross. To how my blood forgives all sin and cleanses from all sin. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. The word power there is the same exact Greek word for the word dominion in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. So now we see Paul actually communicating the message that Jesus gave him in Acts 15 through 18. Paul's communicating this to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, 6 through 8. He's also communicating it to the Colossian people in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. And it's almost the exact same message of Ephesians. And it's nearly the exact same message that Jesus gave him in Acts 15 through 18. For he has rescued us, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That takes us back into Acts 15 through 18, where Jesus said, I want to turn them from darkness to light. And we've been brought into the kingdom of light. All right. We've been rescued from, from the dominion or the power of darkness And God has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. You have forgiveness. You live in the kingdom of the son he loves. You live in the kingdom of grace. You live in the kingdom of forgiveness. You're a citizen of the kingdom. You're a forgiven citizen of the kingdom. 
you are forgiven. And Satan will lie to us, no, you're not forgiven. You, you still have to ask for forgiveness. And this message is being communicated by so many Bible teachers. You still have to ask for forgiveness as a believer, to stay in fellowship, to stay close with God, to be right with God. That's not a biblical message. That's not the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace is you possess forgiveness, not request it. You accept it, not ask for it. And you do that the day you come to faith in Christ, and it becomes eternally yours. So in verse 14 of Colossians 1, 13 through 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at Colossians 2, 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins, remember, sins cause death. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. If all of our sins aren't forgiven, then we can't be alive with Christ. Because how many sins does it take to become dead in our sins? It only takes one unforgiven sin to be dead in our sins. That's why Paul emphasizes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, that he forgave us all of our sins. Now, why did he forgive all of our sins? Because all of our sins were nailed to the cross. Every sin we've ever committed was nailed to the cross. Every sin we will commit, nailed to the cross. And that's what Paul says when he continues this in Colossians 2.14. In 13, he says, he forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge. What's that mean? The guilty charge. You're guilty for that sin you committed back in 1993, that's what Satan will say. God said, no, 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 no. There's no charge to bring. There's no charge. Why? Because Jesus was charged as guilty for our sins. And that charge has now been canceled through the cross of Jesus. That's called the gospel of grace. Our sins have been forgiven, having been canceled, having, having this charge canceled, our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Jesus has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All sins for all people, for all time, was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And none of us asked Jesus to go to the cross. So God's not waiting on any of us to ask for forgiveness. He's just waiting on the unbeliever to accept the forgiveness that's theirs in Christ. And he's desiring for the believer to awaken to the truth that all their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And then to extend that same forgiveness to themselves. This is the good news of the gospel. All right, Hebrews 10, 17 through 18, talks more about forgiveness in this new covenant that we're under. Then he adds in verse 17 of Hebrews 10, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Why? Because they were all nailed to the cross. I will not count their sins against them anymore because they were nailed to the cross. 
And that's a quote of Jeremiah 31, 34, where it talks about the coming new covenant to replace the old covenant. In verse 18, it says, and where these have been forgiven, where these sins have been forgiven. So here we see it's, it's past tense. These sins have been forgiven. It's finished. So that when we talk about the finished work of Christ, that's what we're talking about. These sins have been forgiven. And there is no more sacrifice for sins left in verse 18. So if there's any more forgiveness that needs to be done, Jesus would have to come back and die for sins. But there's no sacrifice necessary for any more sins because the one act of Jesus, his one sacrifice of himself on the cross, paid the sin debt for everybody. And when we receive this payment, we receive forgiveness. This is the new covenant. This is how God relates to you and me. And this is the covenant that Jesus established in his blood. Look in Matthew 26, 26 through 27. Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross. He's hours away from being arrested and going to the cross. And look at the topic that Jesus is discussing with his disciples. Matthew 26, 26 through 27. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. So the bread represented his body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, or the blood of the testament. Same Greek word, covenant or testament. Same Greek word which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Many there's the entire human race for the forgiveness of sins. Now let's look in Luke twenty-two nineteen through 20. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, or the new testament, or the new way that God's going to relate to people that's in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we see that Jesus is going to the cross to establish the new testament. Most people have been taught when it comes to Old Testament and New Testament, that the Old Testament is about books and the New Testament is about books. And people will say there's 39 books in the Old Testament and there's 27 books in the New Testament. That's a traditional teaching that's wrong. Now try to convince people of that is difficult because their emotions are tied to what's traditional and not what's biblical. The Old Testament is not about books. The Old Testament does not start at Genesis chapter 1. The Old Testament starts with Exodus chapter 24 when, when the first animal was sacrificed. And the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the exact same thing, is the law of Moses. And under the law of Moses, animals were sacrificed every day to cover the sins of the people of Israel. 
But the new covenant or the new testament doesn't start in Matthew 1. It doesn't start at the birth of Jesus. It doesn't start, it's not about a book. It's not about a collection of books. The New Testament starts at Matthew chapter 27, 28, when Jesus died on the cross. Sometimes after Luke chapter 22, when Jesus died on the cross. The Old Testament literally runs from Exodus 24 until Jesus dies on the cross, which tells us that most of Matthew, most of Mark, most of Luke, and most of John are Old Testament because the New Testament doesn't go into effect until, until Jesus dies on the cross. I've had somebody try to tell me before, oh, Brad, you're confusing all this because the New Testament starts at Matthew chapter 1. It's the new covenant that starts at the cross of Jesus. And I tried to explain to that person, the New Testament and the New Covenant aren't different. They're the same Greek word. They're, some translations will use testament, some will use covenant. But that just tells me immediately that person doesn't understand Scripture. They're just trying to somehow keep their traditional understanding still there. But in trying to keep their traditional understanding there, they're, they're missing the biblical truth of the New Covenant. And so notice what Jesus says when it comes to the New Testament and the New Covenant. He says this, take and eat, take and drink, that our spiritual nourishment is eating of the New Covenant. Our spiritual nourishment is drinking of the New Covenant. And what are we eating of? I'm drinking of the fact that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, He went to the cross And he died for all of my sins at the cross. And Satan, you are aiming your fiery arrow at me that says that I'm not forgiven. The New Testament says I am forgiven. The New Covenant says I am forgiven. The cross of Jesus says I am forgiven. And I'm not going to drink in your lies. I'm not going to drink in and eat up your lies that says I'm not forgiven. I'm going to drink in the New Covenant of grace that says I am forgiven. And I'm going to eat of the new covenant of grace that says I am forgiven. You and I are New Testament believers, meaning we're believers in the cross of Jesus. That's who we are. We're new covenant believers. We, we eat and we drink in this forgiveness that's ours in Christ. So remember, we're looking at the flaming arrow of Satan that says you're not forgiven. Now, attached to this flaming arrow is another lie that says God is counting your sins against you. The truth of grace is that all of our sins were counted against Jesus. That's the message of the new covenant of grace. Now, we've looked at the new covenant in Hebrews. We've looked at the new covenant or the New Testament in Matthew and in Luke as it relates to complete forgiveness. Now, let's look at the new covenant in 2 Corinthians starting with chapter 3, as it relates to forgiveness and the truth that God is not counting our sins against us. Because Satan will say, God's counting your sins against you. So starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes this, God has made us competent, the ability to teach well. God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. So a lot of Bible teachers and pastors are called ministers. If they're not 
ministering the new covenant, if they're not ministering the new Testament, what we just talked about, they're really not ministers. If they're mixing it all together, they're not ministers because a real minister is a minister of the new covenant or the new Testament. And again, it's not about books. It's about blood. God has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter. That's talking about the Ten Commandments there. Not of the letter. It's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about the the Ten Commandments specifically. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills. The Ten Commandments kill. Letters engraved in, in, in stone is what he's referring to here. The Ten Commandments that Moses got in Exodus chapter 19. It kills. The Ten Commandments kills. But the Spirit gives life. So the Spirit operates in the new covenant, not in the old covenant. The Spirit operates in the new covenant. And you see that as you read down through 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and you get to verse 17. Where the Spirit of the Lord is in our hearts, there is freedom from the law. There's freedom from condemnation. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. To the God of this age, that's Satan, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, that's the new covenant of grace in context, that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the glory of Jesus is displayed in the new covenant. And again, we're not talking about books. We're not talking about Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. We are talking about the cross of Jesus. We are talking about the blood of Jesus. We're talking about New Testament when Jesus died for the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The glory of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus is seen in what he did for us on the cross. And he is God. He is the image of God. So Satan desires to blind people to the message of grace. He wants to blind the unbeliever to the gospel of grace. He's doing a wonderful job at blinding the mind of the believer to the gospel of grace. So many believers' minds have been blinded. Their hearts have, been, have, have become hard to the gospel of grace, unfortunately. I say so many believers. I think it's so many Christian leaders so many church leaders, the average believer in a church, they're ready to hear this message. But it's, it's typically your leaders that are suppressing this message and keeping it from getting out to believers. But Satan desires to blind people to the message of grace, believer and unbeliever alike, to the New Testament, to the New Covenant. Why? Why does Satan want to blind people to the message of grace? Why does Satan want to block the message of grace from getting to people, believers and unbelievers, because Satan knows that the gospel of grace, the New Testament, again, not books, the blood of Christ, the cross, the New Testament, Satan knows that this New Testament, the cross, the blood of Christ, breaks his power in their lives, right? That takes us back to Acts chapter 26, 15 through 18 takes us to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. The gospel of grace breaks the power of Satan in the lives of people. Satan also desires to blind people to the message of grace, and he, he wants to block the message of grace from getting to people 
this New Testament message of what Jesus did on the cross because he knows that the gospel of grace, the New Testament, Christ went to the cross, we eat and drink of forgiveness. The New Testament reveals the greatness of God. Third reason Satan wants to blind people from the gospel of grace and block the gospel of grace from getting to people. First reason, because he knows it's going to break his power in their lives. Second reason, it's going to reveal the greatness of God. And third reason, it's going to change people's lives, just like it's changed your life and like it's changed my life. Now, we see all three of these, that the gospel of grace, this New Testament of grace message, this new covenant of grace, breaks Satan's power in people's lives, reveals the greatness of God, and changes the lives of people. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. And Paul writes, All this is for your benefit, that's his missionary journeys to get out the message of grace that Jesus sent him on, which we read about in Acts 26, 15 through 18. So 2 Corinthians 4, 15, all of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of of God. The glory of God is the greatness of God, right? How do people see the greatness of God? According to this verse, people see the greatness of God when they see the grace of God. And when people see the greatness of God because they've seen the grace of God, then it leads in gratitude back to God. And what is this overflowing gratitude that's going back to God when people saw his greatness through his grace. What is that grace that people saw that when they saw this grace, they saw how great God is and it resulted in gratitude flowing back to God, which was life-changing from them. What is this grace that Satan doesn't want people to see? What is this grace that Satan wants to blind people to, that Satan wants to block this message getting to? Well, Paul explains what this grace is in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Now, remember, we started in 2 Corinthians 3, and you can go back and study 3 and 4 and 5. But remember, Paul was made a competent minister of the New Covenant, of the New Testament, and we find out this New Covenant, New Testament message is grace, that when people heard it, they saw the greatness of God because they saw the grace of God and gratitude overflowed from their hearts to God. What's the content of this New Covenant of Grace message? 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 21. All this is from God. What is the all this? The New Covenant. This good news of God's grace. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, brought us into relationship with himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the us here is Paul, Paul and his missionary team. As they went into these cities that Jesus sent him to go into, these Roman cities, to reach the Gentiles and to communicate this message to the Gentiles, he was doing it as a minister of the new covenant this ministry of reconciliation. How can you know God? 
How can you come into relationship with God? Remember, all these Gentiles were trying to appease in their mind an angry God. They were trying to work their way to this angry God. They were trying to earn something with this God so that they could somehow remove themselves from that God's punishment. And Paul's going into these Gentile cities with with you guys are going about it all the wrong way. Let me tell you who the true God is, Jesus, and let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. Let me tell you what God has done for you in Jesus. And he begins this ministry of reconciliation. Here's how you can know God. And he begins explaining to people that God was bringing the world into relationship with himself. God was initiating a relationship with the human race because he loves us. God took the initiation in Christ to bring people into relationship with himself. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ or through Jesus. How? How would God bring people into relationship with himself? What is this New Testament message that shows us how great God is so that gratitude overflows in our hearts to God? Here it is. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's the message. God's not counting your sins against you. None of your sins are being counted against you. Why? Why is God not counting our sins against us? How many of our sins were counted against Jesus? All of our sins. 100% of our sins, past, present, and future, was counted against Jesus. And if all of our sins were counted against Jesus, if all of your sins were counted against Jesus, then how many of your sins are left for God to count against you? None. God's not counting your sins against you because all of your sins were counted against Christ. The sins back in your childhood or the sins back in your high school days or the sins in your adult years, that sin you think God's counting against you, that sin you think God can't forgive you for. The truth is God's not counting that sin against you. And Satan will come and say, God's counting that sin against you. God's really upset with you about what you did. And you know what we say? That's a, that's a lie, Satan. That's one of your flaming arrows, Satan, that you're aiming at me. And I'm going to hold up the shield of faith. And I'm going to place my faith in what Jesus did at the cross. And at the cross, my sins were counted against Jesus. And Satan, you're a liar. Just like you lied to Eve in the Garden of Eden, you're lying to me right now. God's not counting my sins against me because all of my sins were counted against Jesus. That's the shield of faith. And he goes on to write in verse 19 that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In verse 20, he says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. An ambassador communicates a message on behalf of somebody else because that person, the ambassador is representing that person. That person isn't there, so the ambassador is representing that person. So remember we read in Acts 26, Jesus appears to Paul and he sends Paul out with this message of forgiveness. At that point, Paul became an ambassador of Christ. He's speaking a message 
to the human race on behalf of Jesus. And what's this message that Paul's an ambassador of? It's the new covenant. It's that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. That's the message that people need to hear that most believers have never heard. Most believers think God's counting their sins against them. How do we know that most believers think that God's counting their sins against them? Because they're still requesting forgiveness from God. They're still asking for forgiveness. I don't ask God to forgive a sin if I think I'm forgiven. I only ask him to forgive me if I think he's counting it against me. So most believers are not living in the New Testament. They're not living in what God did for them in Christ because they're still requesting forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. They don't understand the gospel. They've been saved by it, but they truly don't understand it. So Paul's speaking this new covenant message, this complete forgiveness message as an ambassador of Christ. He's speaking it on behalf of Christ. And then he says, we implore you, that's the unbeliever on Christ's behalf, to be reconciled to God, to come to faith in Christ. Because God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only is this new covenant message a message where we're completely forgiven, but it's also a message where we're completely righteous. Our sin record's been cleared forever, and our hearts have been cleansed forever by the blood of Christ. Jesus took our sinfulness at the cross, and he offers us his righteousness as a free gift. And how do we receive that gift? We receive it by faith in Jesus. So the satanic flaming arrow about forgiveness is this. God is counting your sins against you. You're not forgiven. But the shield of faith about forgiveness is this. God is not counting my sins against me because all my sins were counted against Jesus and all of my sins have been forgiven. So when Satan comes to you and he lies to you that you need to ask God to forgive you, that's as an, unbel as an unbeliever or believer, that's a lie. The truth is this, by faith, as an unbeliever, I receive forgiveness. Or as a believer, by faith, I believe that I'm already forgiven in Christ. I've already received forgiveness, and, and I'm in right relationship with God. I'm righteous before God. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, Click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.